Hello and welcome to Yellow Soul. I'm your host, Juliet Marhofer Duggar, and today we have something special for you. This is actually our first dialogue for a new segment of Yellow Soul called Ground Table. And I have a co-host with me, and her name is Britt Alvin, and you may recognize her from a previous episode that we did together in 2022 for season one of Yellow Soul, where it was just Britt and I and our interview one-on-one. So Britt, thanks for being here with me today, and we'll talk about our special guest in just a moment. Britt, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so excited. We've been talking about Ground Table um, for a few months, and I'm just happy to be here with you. I love it. Yeah, we, we talked about Ground Table, and one day I was, I was actually in a prayer garden where I live after, after a run one morning, and I was thinking of, oh, okay, Round Table. I was like, Ground Table? Like, I love sitting on the ground. I love laying down on the ground, writing. Um, I'm just a floor person. You know, when I have people over and we're hanging out, I find myself moving out of the chair onto the floor and people end up joining me. And I love when I do retreats, I like doing feasts on the ground. And so I just felt like it's a, it's a starting point, the soil, you know, it's just, it's, it's where, it's where the magic happens. I feel like it's, it's a starting point and everyone is on a level playing field. Um, and it's beautiful. And so today you and I, it's about creating dialogue and it being conversational. Um, we want to welcome our beautiful, wonderful guest. I'm so excited. Um, and our guest today is Susan Binkley. Susan is located in Tennessee and um, she is the founder of Blue Monarch. Oh, just amazing mission. So her mission with her organization is breaking the cycle and rebuilding the family. And she is also author of her brand new book called, I love this, From My Front Row Seat, a collection of stories from my time working alongside women in recovery. And Susan and I spent some time on the phone together the other day conversing and what a beautiful soul. Susan, welcome. So glad that you are here today with Britt and I. How are you doing today? Great. I'm so excited to spend some time with both of you. Well, we are too. We can't wait. And shout out to uh, our amazing, beautiful, wonderful publisher, Esther, who is the founder of the Fed Agency located in Austin, Texas, and our literary agent, Tyler, um, who connected Susan and I. She said, I think she has some stories, Juliet, that you're probably going to want to hear. <laughs> she knows, I, she knows I'm, a, I'm a story person. So it was an, an instant connection and reading through your blog and your process of becoming a published author. Uh, really fascinating. And then just getting to spend some time with you the other day and hearing your own story of resilience and how God really just like, whoa, I mean, that was just like a mesmerizing process of of where God brought you to and the vision he gave you for Blue Monarch. And I'd love for you also, I don't want to forget for you to share with our listeners, the amount of, of young people, families and kids that you have helped uh, through, through your foundation. So I'm excited to talk more about that. So let's dive in and we will talk about your book a little bit later in our, uh, dialogue today. The other day when you and I were holding space together and in conversation, I asked you, what were some things 
on your heart that you wanted to share. And so let's just weave through a conversation today together of some of that. What would you like to talk about first? I think that one of the things that has been important to me about the book, um, well, for one thing, I have really wanted to honor the journeys of the women and children that we serve. Um, because this experience of Blue Monarch has really changed the way I look at the world. I mean, I look at the world through a totally different lens now. Well, one example would be, um, you know, like a really unruly child in the store might have really irritated me in the past. But now when I look at that child, I can only imagine what he may be experiencing or what he has, the trauma that he's experienced in which case he has a right to act out. Um, and so, so I do feel like um, sometimes it's important to, to be more educated on the struggles that people have uh, to change your perception of how you see people around you. Um, but I also, I really like for people to be inspired um, by the story of how God has used me, even though um, I was definitely a reluctant participant <laughs> and I wasn't really excited um, to have what, what I grew up hearing as a calling. And so I, I think it's important um, for people to know that God can use um, people who are not qualified and basically completely reluctant, um, but he can use you in powerful ways to really change lives. Um, and I think one of the things that I mentioned to you the other day is that through the years, when I have been at speaking engagements, I often see people crying. And a lot of times they're crying because of the story that I'm sharing at the moment, but afterwards I'll have some of those people come up to me and they're crying because they feel like God has asked them to do something in the past and they have ignored it or resisted. And now they're uh, just really grieving over that decision. And mm. so when I hear that, it just breaks my heart because I feel like um, I just want people to have the courage to say yes, because I don't think that God deliberately walks you into something to, to make your life miserable. Um, I mean, this, this journey has definitely been difficult and challenging but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. I, I hate to think of what I might've missed out on if I had said no. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you, when, when we were sharing the other day, the events that led up to you looking at those bluff views, <laughs> I have to say, because we were talking and I said, yes, you sharing your story. I giggled and said, so God called your bluff. And you were like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, and in that hammock, but the, just what led you, led you to that. And the first time I heard from my pastor, Erwin McManus, who's also, uh, one of the, the fed agency's authors, is that is nothing is wasted. Mm -hmm. And in my own life, just letting that be the man, just the filter that you look through that nothing is wasted because we can become so discouraged and we can get stuck in what we haven't done, or we can get stuck in that place of regret. And Brett, I'd like to pull you into this part of the conversation because I know that there was, there's so much that pertains to this topic that you and I touched on when we did your uh, interview together and so much that you were fighting through and how unqualified 
you felt to do what God was calling you into. And there was, there's a lot of dynamics that led into that, but and you and Susan share passion of artistry, both beautiful, amazing artists. And so, uh, Britt, I'd love for you to speak to what Susan is sharing as well. The story that comes to mind just on that is I went through a time after the Lord spoke to me and told me, you know, Britt, it's time. It's time for you to go full-time art. I was so afraid. And there was an opportunity at church where they asked me to consider doing a seven week live painting for Easter. It would be revealed on Easter and it was a crown to crown. So they told me, you know, you can paint whatever you want, but it has to do, it needs to have something to do with the King's crown. We're going to reveal it on Easter. Will you consider it? And I immediately said, yes, for a couple of reasons. I had never painted publicly before. And I knew that if I was going to believe God to do something amazing, that I would have to step out in faith because there was so much fear around going full-time art. What if I fail? What if um, they laugh at me? You know, all of these things that I knew I needed to do something just for myself to prove that all of my chips were on the table, you know, that I'm all in. And it was, the most transformative, scary. I mean, you can ask my husband, there were days where I just cried. What am I doing? I don't understand why he wants me to do this. But looking back on it, it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life. And so along with what Susan said, you know, I can't imagine saying no to that experience as scary as it was. Mm -hmm. But I think you come to a crossroads where you say, am I going to trust him enough to just move over that line of fear? Am I just going to take that next step? And I think that's where we find the beauty in the process of becoming whatever Mm -hmm. it is that he has called us to be. So good. Thank you. Yeah. I, when I'm, I'm hearing both of you share, what comes to me is our yes over and over again. It's not like we just say yes once. We, we say yes, we say yes, we keep saying yes. And that yes becomes a portal to the next step and the next step and the next step. And oftentimes if the plan that God has for our lives were revealed to us all at once, the overwhelm, and we, we may feel like we failed before we even get started. And it's, it's oftentimes taking that step really can be the scariest part of the process. And once you do it and being able to overcome that, it doesn't mean that you stop feeling unqualified, Mm -hmm. but what does happen is that the experience with God and what you cultivate begins to far outweigh (laughs) what, what you're going through, you know, and the pain and, and the fear and the courage. I think of the scripture that as we share our testimony, that's how we keep overcoming and living that out and doing that is, is a test. It is our testimony. It is our story that we're walking out. I love what you both have shared. And, um, Susan, I'd like to dive into a little bit of your, of your story in terms of what you did before blue monarch, um, because I want our listeners to be able to hear, uh, some of the steps that you took to be able to 
lean in and listen and make that transition from where you were to taking that leap. Um, because that was, that was amazing to hear you share that the other day. So whatever pieces you'd like to share with our listeners would be awesome. I mean, what I describe is that I was minding my own business and, <laughs> and, and I was an, um, I was an artist that was was my background and I sold my work at a gallery in Nashville and then I also ran a horse farm where I boarded horse a lot of horses and we ran it kind of like a horse hotel and would keep big teams of horses that came through town like the Budweiser Clydesdales would stay there and Heinz Percheron team and big teams of horses and so I was just minding my own business and um, had married um, my third husband and we met at our 20th year high school reunion and when we um, met at the high school reunion we started dating and after three months decided to get married and then we thought well people will think we're nuts so we'll wait one more month because four sounds so much better than three <laughs> I, so, love <laughs> so, I love it I love it we actually had a surprise wedding and so on Thanksgiving we invited both families over for what they thought was Thanksgiving dinner and then we had the preacher show up and marry us on the spot oh my goodness that's genius <laughs> but, well I have recommended that to so many people and not one has taken me up on it and it was just so I highly recommend it because you I love have it, a Susan. whole lot of headaches <laughs> Susan is handing out wedding tips I love this yeah. this took a turn <laughs> well and, and we I mean it couldn't have been stranger because we I was raising a deer uh with my daughter at the time and so the deer Daisy was our flower girl she had a big flower she had a big corsage around her neck and and um, so the whole thing was just crazy and when you look at the video now you can see that the people there went anywhere from appalled to amused <laughs> and so, but anyway, I don't know how I got onto that, but it was shortly after we had gotten married um, when I had this incredible, powerful dream one night. Mm -hmm. And in the dream, I was expected to read. I was seated at a huge table that was kind of like a big marble table. I could see that there were three figures standing behind me that were just in bright, bright light. And I was required to read this thick book and the book was basically a business plan for how you would put something like Blue Monarch together. And it even described how the women would be employed by producing a product. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so when I woke up the next morning, I immediately referred to it as a, just a powerful dream. I knew it, it had a lot of meaning, but I said, I must have intercepted someone else's dream because this has nothing to do with me. And it's all about helping women and children. And I really don't like either. And so I had never liked groups of children. I mean, groups of women. I didn't like being in women's clubs. I didn't like groups of children. I liked only my one child. And so I really felt like um, this was an incredible dream, but it was really intended for someone else. And so then a couple of years later, um, we moved to where we live now. And then um, my husband and I loved renovation. So we bought an old building in the little university town of Swanee and we renovated it. And a new friend of mine wanted to put a, a bakery in there. 
And so I said, well, it should probably also be a coffee shop. And as an artist, I would love to do the creative side of that. So I was going to do the logo, the name, the concept, the interior, all the, well, the fun part. And then she would do the hard part. And I thought it was a great, great arrangement. And, but then four months into it, she decided to go back into real estate. And so overnight, I found myself running a restaurant, which was insane because I was the one in the family who was always asked to bring bags of ice and chips. I mean, everyone <laughs> knew I did not know how to cook and I definitely didn't know how to bake. And here I had a bakery. At that point, I just kind of dove into trying to figure this out. And, and restaurant work is hard. I mean, it is so hard and it's yes. exhausting. And for anyone who's ever done it, I mean, there were days when I would lock the door and just fall on the floor and just spread eagle because I was so tired. And I also was angry with God because I was like, um, I remember uh, driving home one night and just saying, what in the world? Why did you let me take the wrong fork in the road? Because mm. I was miserable running that restaurant. I mean, I didn't have a passion for it and I was exhausted. But what happened was that it, it introduced me to the population that we serve today because wow. I started having women come to me for jobs and I would see what they were struggling with. It really touched my heart. And I started hearing stories that were just unbelievable of just unbelievable abuse. And, and some of the stories, it was shocking to me that they were so similar women saying they were, had been locked in their homes with the doors and windows nailed shut and, you know, just crazy things like that. So actually after a couple of years, the, despite the fact that I didn't have a clue what, how to run that business, it became really successful. So I was lying in what Juliet was referring to. I was lying in the hammock out on the bluff where we live and just thinking, how can, we increase business when we have such a tiny building. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe what we need to do is have a, a commercial kitchen somewhere else and we can give jobs to the women, uh, some of the women that I have seen who have struggled so much. And then I started thinking, well, maybe it could also, uh, we could provide some of the services that they need. And then I thought, golly, wouldn't it be great if they could also live there and it would be a safe place. And and wouldn't it be even better if they could have their children with them? And then the, all of a sudden, in that moment, it was like a bucket of water. And I'm not just saying like a bucket of water. It was like a, this bucket of water splashed on my face. It shows how disconnected I was because I thought it had to be a big bird. And so I'm looking for a bird. And, and then all of a sudden, I realized, wait a minute. That is exactly what that dream was about. It was in that moment that I really realized that that's what God was asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And so then at that point, and, and I kind of relate to what you were saying, Britt, because in that moment, I, I entered what I thought, what I have referred to as three days in the belly of the fish. <laughs> I cried about it for three days because I was like, no, don't ask me to do this. And what in the world? I mean, it, to me, it was a bad sign that he got around to asking me because I thought that meant a whole lot of qualified people had turned him down for some reason. And so I thought, well, that is a really bad sign. And so uh, but it was something that my 17-year-old daughter said to me that was a game changer. Mm -hmm. She said, you know, mommy, 
she said, you can tell God no, and he won't love you any less than if you said yes. Mm. And when she said that, I just thought, golly, I hadn't thought about that. And because I really did have free will, but I thought, Who, how can I say no to a God like that? At that time, and it just shows how stupid I was because I told God, I said, okay, I'll do it on one condition that I never, ever have to speak in public, which of course, two weeks later, I was in front of a rotary club and I thought I was going to throw up. <laughs> And I've been in public ever since. But God's like, yeah, okay, Susan, okay. Right, right. I'll show you. I'll show you here. Well, one thing that was really interesting about that is that when I had that dream, uh, when we moved to where we live now, the first time that we drove through the little town that you go through to get to our, our property, I looked at this building and it was the high school building in that town. And I remembered seeing that building in my dream. Mm -hmm. And I said, that is so weird. That building was in my dream. What could that mean? And six months later, it was that school moved to a brand new location, leaving it vacant. And that's when I started getting nervous. I thought, oh, geez, what does this mean? And so in my pursuit of going through that building, trying to figure out why am I so drawn to this building? Um, I met a really generous man who ended up being the one who helped us purchase the property where we are now, because even though I was, uh, even though I was just a perfect stranger with an ambitious plan on paper, um, he and his wife agreed to borrow a million dollars and let us just make the note payment. Um, so we could buy this beautiful property where, where we are now. And we've added on to that now, but um, but that building in that dream played a big role. Mm. So it wasn't where we were supposed to be located. Had a question. Um, if, sure. I am curious, Susan, how you transitioned from not wanting to be around groups of women and children to having a heart to serve them. And I know you mentioned the restaurant, but I'm wondering if it was through the conversations you had with them one-on-one, but how did your heart begin to open to them little by little? You know, I think my explanation for that is that it was supernatural. Um, in fact, I remember one day in my office, my daughter walked in and I had children climbing all over me. And she said, who are you? <laughs> it's like, how did this happen? But I really, I feel like um, as I got to know the women that we were serving, and it probably did start with my restaurant and really seeing what they were struggling with. Um, and, and this is one of the things that really, really got to me. When I had my restaurant, there was a woman whose mother was about to be evicted from government housing right before Christmas. And, and I just couldn't imagine. I just thought that's horrible. And this woman was unable to work. She was disabled, but most of her disability came from, um, from having been so brutally uh, abused by her former husband, which is something that we see a lot. And so I just anonymously went over there and paid her rent so she could not get evicted for during Christmas. And I was shocked to find out that it was only $50. And, and at that point I thought, golly, I know plenty of women who spend more than that on their nails and this poor woman was going to be on the streets uh, 
during the holidays in the middle of the winter because she didn't have that $50. And so I think that, I think that God just opened my eyes. It's almost like there was another dimension out there that I didn't realize was there. And so I really, I absolutely love the women that we serve. And if I had my choice, they would be the ones that I would choose first to spend my time with, because I think they're the most amazing, courageous, incredible, I mean, just, just supernatural strength that they have overcome so many things. And then the commitment that they make to come here. Um, and what we do here is pretty much require them to change every single aspect of every single thing they do. And that takes tremendous courage. And most of them come here because they're wanting to restore their families. And so my appreciation and love for children um, has grown as well. And it it was really about my third year, and this is our 20th year, but it was about the third year when I realized, hey, we have this just incredible, rich opportunity to completely change that family tree by changing the life of that child. So when I see children show up that are so traumatized and have been so abused and watch that transformation as they get to actually become kids again, or maybe for the first time, um, I don't know how you not fall in love with them. And mm-hmm. so, so I think, I think God, I mean, I, I think God is the one who gave me a heart for, uh, the women and children that we serve. And, and I'm so grateful for it. I'm just so grateful for it because I see now that I was missing out <laughs> before. Well, congratulations, Susan, on 20 years. That is incredible. Incredible. <laughs> I think it was an advantage that I that God picked someone who didn't know what she was doing and had no no training in this field. Because I think if I'd known what I was getting into, I would I would have run for the hills. <laughs> Twenty years later, and how many children you shared with me the other day? How many children did you say that approximately that you have helped to reunite with the the mother? Well, almost 350 children now have been reunited with their mothers who had previously lost custody. And then we've served um, almost a thousand women and children. So it's been, it's a a lot. (laughs) What a miracle, an absolute miracle. And for the listener that, that is, is on the edge of their seat, hearing your story and what you walk through like Britt's question of your heart evolving and connecting to the women and the children, what would you tell the person who knows that they are called to do something significant that it just, it wakes them up and it keeps them up at night and they think about it and it's in front of them. And there's that, that point that they haven't quite crossed over yet. And maybe that's the person that comes to, hear you speak or hear you share that's listening to you today, what would you say are some steps that you took to, to hear God and to, and to listen, to jump and take that leap of faith? I really feel like you have to just get the backbone to, and the grit to just make that trust fall Mm -hmm. and just have the faith because 
um, I just, I just don't feel like, you know, I, I guess I grew up in the church thinking that if you were called, if God called you to something, your life was going to be miserable. He was going to send you to Africa. You were going to be a missionary. You were going to wear clothes that were five years out of style. You were always going to be tired. And I mean, you know, it just looked horrible, but I realized, you know, God doesn't call you to things that are going to make you miserable. And so he really wants to, to bless you. And so I, I feel like if you can just trust him, um, that, that you're going to be so blessed and you're going to be so happy that you did that. Because when I look back on my life and the plan that, that Susan had for Susan's life, um, it just pales in comparison to what I have actually been able to experience. And so I would have cheated myself, but once I really did just surrender and just say, okay, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't know why in the world this would work. I don't know why it should or why you would have picked me, but we're going to do this. My description is that it's almost like um, getting on a train every morning, but you don't know where you're going. He gives you the luggage that you need that day. I mean, and looking back, it was really kind of unbelievably supernatural that it from the day that I had that revelation on the bluff to the day that we opened our doors to this operation here, it was only 10 months. And now that I've done this for 20 years, I mean, it, it's unbelievable to me that it only took 10 months. But in that 10 month period of time, um, I kept what I called my journal of miracles because every single day, um, because I just completely relied on God to, to guide my steps, I could start out the day with a question. And by the end of the day, the answer would have come to me from a perfect stranger at the door or something random on TV, or, I mean, he, he gave me what I needed. You know, when I think back on one of my worst periods here, when I was trying to do this in my own strength, um, I was so frustrated because I didn't have the money I needed to pay our staff. I didn't, couldn't pay our bills. And I was going door to door trying to raise money. It was horrible. And I was having one of those big screaming fits <laughs> that you only have in private. And, and I was like, why did you ask me to do this if you weren't going to give me the resources to make it happen? And just as clear as, as I mean, I heard what, what I heard God say was, you're the one who makes it so hard because you don't trust me. Mm. And it really yeah. just stopped me in my tracks. And I thought, golly, is that right? And then I realized, yeah, that is right. I've been trying to solve all these problems and do it all in my own strength. And that's impossible. And so anytime now that it really starts feeling overwhelming or it gets hard, and of course, you know, we have all the same problems multiplied by a whole, by a lot more now. <laughs> and, and I always have to remind myself, wait a minute, this is God's plan. It's not, it's not your mm -hmm. God's. And then um, that relieves a lot of that pressure. But I just, I would encourage people, get the courage, and it does take courage, but get the courage to say yes, because I can't imagine a scenario where you say yes to what God's asked you to do and you end up being sorry. I, I can't imagine that. Mm, that's so powerful, Susan. I want to dial into what you said 
doing it in your own strength. Because when we use that language and that terminology, oftentimes when we think about, well, what's wrong with being independent? You know, what's wrong with opening my own doors? What's wrong with, and I'm saying not just physical, but metaphorically speaking, you know, what's wrong with, with doing that? I love what Pastor Mark Batterson says, work like it depends on us and pray like it it depends on God. The, the point is, is that we got to take responsibility and do the work. But when we talk about, you know, doing it at our own strength, can we dial into that a little bit more? What, what would that look like for you doing it in your own strength instead of, of trusting and relying on God? Can you give an example of that? I think one of the reasons that it doesn't pay to just do it all in your own strength is that you don't necessarily know what God's plan is. It's really hard. Um, and in fact, I wrote a blog post um, about that just yesterday uh, because we had a woman here who had been separated from her little girl for years. And we had just done so many things trying to make this reunification happen, trying to help her regain custody. And we had, you know, checked all the boxes. We met with all the attorneys. We did all the documents. We did, I mean, we did a million things to make this happen. And then I'm sure she was questioning herself. Like, you know, did I wear the wrong thing to court? Did I say the wrong thing? Like, we're always trying to figure out how did we not do the right thing or how, what can we do better? And then in the end, her daughter was reunited with her in the blink of an eye because God spoke to just the right person to change his heart and make that happen. Mm. And so after over 1200 days uh, separated from her child, she got that child back. And so it ended up like, I do feel like, you know, it's always, we can't just sit around and just wait for God to make things miraculously happen. I do feel like we have a responsibility to do our due diligence, do a good job, do what you think you need to do. Ultimately, it's still God's plan. Ultimately, it's still going to be up to God. I think that sometimes when we, um, especially like here at Blue Monarch, like if we have a problem we're trying to solve, I think that it's a mistake if we really just go head first into, okay, what makes sense? What do we need to do? What do we need to do? And, and not take the time to pray about it and ask God, what is your will in this situation? Mm. Um, and so sometimes I think doing it in your own strength and not being a, and that not being a positive thing is when you get ahead, <laughs> you know, when you try to get ahead of God and, Well, and a good example is like hiring the wrong people, you know, like, or getting the wrong people involved. Like I, when I look back over 20 years, my worst experiences here were not from the population that we serve, which has lots of potential for disaster, but my worst experiences have been the times that I made desperate, made decisions out of desperation. And I hired people when I shouldn't have, got board members that I shouldn't have, um, or you know, just made decisions because I was desperate and was not patient to ask God what was his will and wait for him to guide my steps. Mm. Yeah, man, Susan, that's so good. What I, what I immediately thought of is when you just said that word desperation, we become so desperate to proceed with our plans 
if we make the exchange to be desperate to get into his presence, if we will be desperate to pray, if we will be desperate to place our trust in him, man, I mean, the sky is the limit, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. God does the impossible. Brett, you have something to share on that? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, just from what y'all both said is faith really does come in the process. Like we have to make the initial, you know what, Lord, I'm going to lay it all down at your feet and I'm going to choose to move forward because you're stirring my heart to do this thing. And so you make that one step forward and then you have the faith to make another step. Like he shows you, I love that, that, um, she mentioned, you know, the, the journal of miracles. I had a journal called traces of grace and we just write down little things to help us along the journey because it is scary. It is hard to see. And I think through God's word, he's always using imperfect people in imperfect situations to accomplish his perfect will. Right. And if we can understand that he's not asking us to be perfect, he just wants us to bring our imperfection to his feet so that he can infuse it with his perfect will and then watch the miracle that God does through us. And that's all that, that we can can ask for. I mean, it's such a beautiful journey when we see that we weren't capable of doing something on our, in our own strength, but it is really through the process of learning to trust him that he brings beauty out of the ashes of our life and lets us breathe hope um, and his light into others so that they can experience that too. Mm. Yeah. So beautiful. One thing that that made me, um, think about it, you know, we see so many women here who are having to, they're having to build tremendous faith because they're separated from their children. They don't know how long that's going to be, you know, it's a painful separation. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that God told me in a situation in my own life where I was just desperate for a miracle, you know, I was just really praying for a miracle. And he, and he told me, I want you to find peace and expectancy. And so that's one of the things that we try to teach them here is that you really do have to get to a point where you are willing to completely hand it over and then find peace in the expectancy of God's faithfulness. Mm, Man. Yes. Yeah. Stay, stay expectant. You know, Mm. your expectations may not be met, People will let us down. Our circumstances will let us down. Yet God is is faithful still. And when we place our our hope and our expectation in Him, everything changes. Doesn't mean our circumstances immediately change, but as you touched on earlier, Susan, our perspective shifts. It really can change the trajectory of our of our existence because that one word from Him can can set our feet on a brand new path. And as Isaiah says, you know, do you not see what I'm doing that I am, that I'm doing something new. I was reading in uh, Luke 18 last night and then was uh, meditating on it again this morning. And Jesus is giving a parable about prayer and he's talking about a thick skin judge and who's a, who's thick skin and godless and had no fear of people's opinions. And there was this woman (laughs) (laughs) Jesus talks about a woman who 
was persistent. And the judge in this parable, the judge describes her that she kept pleading. Even in the Passion Translation, it says that that she was annoying him um, and demanding her rights, that she was uh, she was persistent. And the judge said he was tired of listening to her. And he said, you know what, to get her off my back, I'm going to answer her claims. I'm going to rule in her favor. And then maybe she'll leave me alone. And, you know, Jesus continued and shared that, did you know, did you hear that? he would answer her persistent request. And don't you know that God, the true judge will grant justice to all of his chosen ones who cry out to him. And just a reminder that our persistence with God pays off. He never leaves our story. He never stops seeing us. Never. His eyes are on the sparrow. His eyes are on us. He never, never stops seeing us, never stops hearing us as we're faithful to, to stay the path. And do what he's called us to do, you know, inside that perfect love that Jesus offers us. It says the scripture tells us that that's where our fear has to go. Our fear has to vacate the premises of our life. It's this perfect love cast out all fear. And that fear stands often stands in between us and being able to trust that there's a God who can love us in spite of all the things that, that we see is so unlovable. Like you said, Britt, he's drawn to our imperfections. I believe that that's the very thing that Jesus Christ died for, for us is, is the imperfections. He's just waiting, waiting for us to bring it all to him and, and to trust him. And Susan, I want to, you shared about freedom versus uh, sobriety. It's not about just managing, but it's about really truly living fully alive and, and living free. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Um, well, the whole world of recovery was new to me. Um, and so I've, I learned a whole lot, but in the early beginning years of Blue Monarch, one of the things that made me is the, I'm an addict. I'm always going to be an addict. You know, it, it, what I would see was that the women here were using that as an excuse for if they wanted to do so, I can't help it. I'm an addict. That's what I am. And it was a label. It didn't make any sense to me because I thought, how can we say that God can't heal addiction? Like he can heal other things. Cause I do feel like plenty of people would agree that he can heal cancer. He can heal, you know, so how does it make any sense that God says, okay, I can heal that, but all you addicts step over here. I can't help you. That makes mm -hmm. no sense. And also one of the things that I started observing was that the women who would show up here had started using drugs for a grocery list of reasons, you know, like they weren't, there were no two alike. Mm -hmm. And, and so how could you say that that's an affliction for life? And so so we really do focus on healing from addiction and getting to the core reason for why you started using drugs in the first place and then helping them develop a personal relationship with Christ so they don't have, um, I mean, it's just incredible the difference. And so what we find is that women are able to be completely free. We see it all the time then they're not struggling with that. They're not white knuckling their sobriety the rest of their lives. Mm. So powerful. And when you just said, you know, getting free, 
The next step is staying free. When you take them through the process at Blue Monarch and you are doing life and living life and cultivating an environment for them to to thrive. And when you were sharing the other day about them walking and living out their stories of resilience. And I mean, you guys are, are full on hands-on you're, you're there. They, they have, because I want to set this up for our listeners to know, uh, you know, addiction can just bristle, uh, cause, cause people to bristle a little bit. And so it's, you know, for those that are either walking that out or have someone in their life that they are, that they're walking life with, who has an addiction. Uh, so set this up for us because this, what, what does that look like at Blue Monarch? This looks like therapy, counseling, community. They are doing soul care, self-care. You've got a village around these women. You have an environment for them where, where they are able to do all the things um, to not get free, but also stay free and, and walk that out, right? Yeah, well, the way I describe it is that it's a wheel with a lot of spokes. Um, And so we really look at every aspect of their lives. And we also, it's a long-term program. So our core program could be anywhere from 18 to 24 months. And then when they graduate from that, then the graduate program on our property is around an additional year. And so... I do feel like it's really important that it's long-term because one of the things that I have observed as someone who really didn't have any history with addiction is that it almost takes seven months before we really start seeing a huge shift. Um, And I believe that some of that is from the drugs finally really leaving their system. Um, But then that's when they really start feeling things for the first time. And they start feeling the pain that they cause their children or family members or, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a scary time. Some women can't handle the pain that they feel. And then they, you know, might want to be, they might be tempted to leave and even relapse, but if they're determined enough to hang in there and cross over that scary point, then that's where we really start to see them shift Um, But another big thing that we focus on, I think it was around my third year when I realized we need to help women learn how to parent their children sober, because so many of the women who come to us um, have not parented sober, and they also didn't grow up in a healthy home where they even knew what a healthy parent looked like. In fact, uh, most of our women were taught to use drugs by a parent or a grandparent in their own home. And so what I realized was that if we didn't help them get the tools that they needed to be healthy parents, then when they left, uh, the, the pressure and the stress of being a single parent with a child that probably has a little bit higher than average behavioral issues, that would be the biggest trigger for relapse. Why we focus a whole lot, like we provide hands-on coaching for our moms, for her individual specific parenting challenges, and they're all different. Um, But we really work on that. And then we also work on the recovery of the child as much as we do the recovery of the mom. Um, because so many of our kids, because their mom has been in addiction, then they have operated more like the parent than the child. 
And then the mother has been more like a child instead of a parent. And so one of the things that is a real rocky, uh, just kind of a rocky period of time is where they have to learn to settle into their appropriate roles. But once they do, it's awesome because then the child gets to have a childhood. Um, mm. Many of our kids show up here and they've had to worry about big grown up problems like shelter and food and safety. And, and so when we can, and, and it's a visible thing. Like we used to, I had a girl, a little girl who used to jump off the bus, run in here to my office and she would sit down with a list of things that she wanted to go over as if she was the mom and she would tell me, okay, our, our faucet is leaking. Um, my, I need a new backpack. My mother's still struggling with quitting smoking. And mm. so she was operating like the parent, but then the day that I saw her jump off the bus and go and climb a tree, like, a like any other kid, I was like, mm. yes, wow. it finally oh. has her childhood back. <laughs> Baby girl. Yeah. Those moments, it's, it, it makes it all worth it. Doesn't it, Susan? You, well, you it, just look up. Yeah. It does. And in fact, that, that, that mother and her child, uh, the mother is, uh, she went through our program. She graduated, she got her pilot's license and she's also on our staff as our case manager. Um, it's been a great success story to, to watch here firsthand. In fact, actually we have eight people on our staff who have been through our program. Absolutely phenomenal. I, I love it. I read, I read through so many of your blog posts and was reading about your staff and those who serve. And it's, it really is, it's, oh, wow. I mean, I really sat there and I just immediately, when I sent you that email, I was like, I'm over here crying because I, I just couldn't, the minute I started reading, it was like, it just, you know, it was like just a waterfall in my eyes. I just couldn't stop. And thank you so much for sharing your journey with us today, your encouragement and Britt and I are so honored to, to have you and to share in this, in this journey with you, these stories that are living on and the generations of healing and how history will not be repeated in the lives of these families. It is so beautiful, Susan, the work that you're doing. I want to talk about your book from my front row seat, because if I remember correctly, that just came out in April of this year. Is that right? Yeah. April 11th was the release. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was released. And I know that that's on, um, which we'll put this in the show notes of our podcast as well, that uh, you narrated your own book and right. I think you it said author narration, I believe. Is that right? Yeah. And also the foreword was um, narrated by uh, someone who's in the book. She was one of our first residents and she's now the director of programming here. She had a, she has a powerful story. And so actually she happened to be able to be available uh, to record her forward too. So I'm excited about that. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. And so what can our listeners expect um, if they're physically reading it or they're listening to it on Audible? Tell us a little bit about your book, because is this, does this contain stories, solely just stories from the residents uh, and women that you've walked alongside? Or is this your own journey wrapped into the book as well? Um, well, it's a combination. It's almost like a memoir with stories that, that connect to stories here. Um, and so the, 
this was also the first time that I really shared some of the supernatural things that have happened to me and which took a little bit of courage. In fact, I, I said that leading up to the release of this book, I started having, you know, those dreams where you're naked on the playground. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, maybe I should have shared all that. <laughs> I love it. But, you know, I think it took a long time for me to have the courage to share it because I thought, okay, mm -hmm. after 20 years of a successful program, maybe people won't think I'm crazy. That's and, right. And so I did share a number of really supernatural things that have happened to me, not only in the beginning of how Blue Monarch got started, but even as I have experienced this journey over the past 20 years, um, you know, we are in the business of restoring families. And so we are on the front lines of spiritual warfare. And, mm -hmm. and I'm aware of that every single day. And so, um, so that's where some of the supernatural stories came from. But I have really loved being able to share well from my front row seat, because I feel like the miracles that I get to see happen are just breathtaking and God still does miracles. It's not just something from the Bible. And, and so I'm excited to be able to share that, but I also, um, it, it is shared in a really raw, genuine voice, um, because that's all I know. And yeah. so it's not been polished. It's just, you know, it's just the nitty gritty of what I experience here, which is good and bad. You know, it's, it's, um, it's a roller coaster ride, but the people I've always said, the people who work here have to be willing to come to work every day, not knowing if they'll get their heart broken into a million pieces or if they'll see the greatest miracle they've ever seen. And both can happen on the same day. And so I think mm -hmm. the book is um, a lot of times uh, an illustration of exactly that. I can't wait to read it. Our interview happened so quickly after Tyler connected us that I haven't even had an opportunity to get my hands on your book. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to, to listening to it and reading it and, and giving a review on it. And so I will definitely uh, link all of that information in, in our podcast for today. Britt, do you have some final thoughts or questions? Yes. I love this conversation so much. And I think um, I had this little book that my husband actually picked up this morning and I said, Oh, let me see that. I, there's something in there I want to share, but I love how it fits in with what we are discussing because we touched on uh, facing fear, choosing freedom, or choosing faith and living free. And I think this so beautifully wraps that up, but it's, it's a book called created to dream. And in chapter three, it's uh, titled deciding to act towards your dreams. So he mm -hmm. says, fear is at the root of all indecision, fear that you will make a mistake, fail, embarrass yourself, fear that you'll make uh, a commitment that you can't keep that somebody will laugh at you or reject you, that God's dream for your life will never become a reality. It's always fear that keeps us from being decisive. We don't like to admit it, and we don't like to admit what we're afraid of, so we make excuses. Like Abraham, he said, I'm too old. Moses said, I can't talk. Gideon said, I can't fight. Isaiah said, I'm too sinful. And Jeremiah said, I'm too young. But the question I think we should ask is, what is our excuse? What is God's dream for your life? You may say, I don't have the time. I don't have the money. 
the experience, the education, or the contacts. I don't have the resources. If only I were married. If only I were not married. If only I were older or younger. It's fear that's keeping us from making decisions that God wants us to make. So what is the antidote to fear? It's faith. <laughs> Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Trust God and start moving toward your dream in spite of all the problems, fears, and doubts. The secret to getting unstuck is to move against your fear and do the thing that you fear most and watch the miracle that God does in your life. When you don't have the faith to do something, go ahead and do it as though you had the faith. And then faith comes. A little faith in a big God gets big results. Mm. <laughs> and so I just thought that that beautifully wraps up um, your story, both of your stories and mine as well, that it doesn't take all the elo you know, elegance in the world or the knowledge in the world, but it really just takes a willing heart. And there's so much that God can do with that. And so it doesn't matter what your story is because we all have brokenness that we've experienced. We've all worked through some really hard things, but the willing heart um, infused with God's power and his purpose can move mountains, can do amazing things in this life. And so I just wanted to speak to those people who are listening today who have let their excuses guide their decisions that you don't have to give in to your fears, that you can actually choose to step forward as small as it is, one step towards faith, and you will see the goodness of God and what he can do. Yes. So good, Britt. Thank you so much, man. That was powerful. That was so perfect. powerful. <laughs> it was perfect. Susan, any final thoughts before we wrap up today for our listeners? Uh, well, one thing that I just wanted to share in case you have listeners who work with this population or, you know, do similar work, um, something that God pointed out to, to me um, 11 years ago, and it was a game changer, not just for me, but my staff as well. I took a sabbatical at that time because I was so burned out because it can be so difficult working with this population or doing any kind of ministry work, really. And and I just was asking God, you know, what can I do to not be so burned out? What can I do to survive this? And, and just as clear as day, what I heard him say was, your job is to serve, not fix, mm -hmm. and to love, not judge. Mm -hmm. And that was a complete game changer. And so I brought that back. And anytime that our staff starts feeling really overwhelmed or like we're getting the life just sucked right out of us, we'll stop and ask ourselves, wait a minute, are we trying to serve or are we trying to fix? Because the truth is, if you start out every day to fix people, you're going to end every single day feeling like you failed because we can't yes. but start every day to serve. Then mm. at the end of every day, then yes, you can say, yes, I did. I served and I loved well. Since then, I've never gotten burned out again, and no one on our staff has either. And so I just, I love to share that when I have an opportunity because, and we have it everywhere. It's on every, we have it on t-shirts and sweatshirts and signs all over the place. So we don't ever forget that. 
And so I just, I love having the opportunity to share that. And I have just loved my time with both of you gorgeous ladies. I just am so, um, I'm so grateful for it. And I admire you both. So thank you for this time. Oh, Susan, thank you. And this is such a gift. And man, thank you for those pearls of wisdom. Our job is to serve, not fix and love, not judge. I mean, good that it's so good. I, something that came to me earlier when you were sharing Susan is grace, grit, and gumption and wealthy, watered and wise having this conversation with you. That's how I would describe you talking to you the other day and, and listening to you now and, and what you shared and, um, Britt, thank you so much for what you've shared today. It's so powerful too. And moving towards our dreams, taking those steps, that scripture, God tells us that if we have faith, even the size of just a mustard seed, mountains can be moved. That Susan, you said earlier, we don't have to white knuckle our way through addiction, but I think about through life. For, uh, for our listener today, we pray that this has stirred up so much on the inside of you that you are beginning to dream again, to hope again, to overcome fear and to take those steps to cross over. That old analogy, how is a car built? One part at a time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So just remember it it is a process. That word process, it's not a dirty word. It's it's a it's beautiful and this process can be brutal yet the beauty that you will uncover is unequivocal. And as Susan and Britt both have said today, what if you don't say yes? What's on the other side of that yes for you? So we want to say thank you to our listeners and thank you for tuning in. And and we do hope that maybe this was the best part of your day and hanging out with us. Susan, would you please share with our listeners where they can find you and uh, and get your book. Yeah, um, well, we sell it. Uh, you can get a signed copy of the book if you go to our store at bluemonarch.org. Um, you can also find my blog there, but you can uh, go to the store there and purchase the book. And then it's also on Amazon, not just in paperback, but also auto, uh, the audiobook and ebook. Okay, are you, is that Blue Monarch on Facebook or Instagram? Yes, Blue Monarch is on Facebook and Instagram. Perfect. Okay, well, we will link all of Susan's information in the show notes of our podcast. Thank you again for being with us today on this very first segment of Roundtable with Britt and I. And ladies, who knows, the three of us may do this again in the future. Susan, I think it'd be so cool if we could bring one of your residents on, maybe one of your staff members or a couple of ladies and have them share their story and connect with us. I think that'd be pretty cool if we could do that down the road. Oh gosh, yes, that would be awesome. And you would not regret it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, all right, Britt, we'll pin that. We'll make that happen. All right, well, thank you both. And friend, until next time, cheers.